Sunday, May 14th, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. p is a movie podcast interrupted by a baseball discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, our first film chosen by Tommy is the 1970s film noir classic Night Moves. Our second film chosen by Leo is a more recent production about the prosecution of the military dictatorship in Santiago Mitres, Argentina, 1985. In Peanuts, it's been two and a half years since MLB announced they would integrate Negro League stats into the historical database. Why is it taking so long? The Tampa Bay Rays keep rolling, but the AL East is far from one as the Baltimore Orioles fight to keep pace. Meanwhile, for the first time since ever, the Yankees and the Cardinals find themselves in sole possession of last place in their divisions. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing very well on this beautiful Mother's Day, uh, Sunday Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to mother. you, buddy. Yeah, hey, I'll be calling my mother and and I'll be making sure that uh, my wife gets some special privileges today, basically. So you're going to let her out of the house then? or Yeah, I'm going to let her out of the house. No, basically with Julie, it just means let her sleep right right or not have to do or worry about take everything off of her plate yeah exactly so uh and if i'm lucky i might be able to get a little pickleball in but we're going to go over to my in-laws have a lou malnati's pizza nice uh, celebrate over there so it should be very nice yeah you know on this day it's really interesting this year would have been my mother's 90th birthday um and she's been gone since 2004 um you know she she was an incredible life force i've written about her many times you know she raised eight kids and she did it in a selfless way in fact she 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 never got mother's day off she just had too much responsibility well i mean your family was so big i can't right right it it just was difficult and and the weird thing is I grew up thinking everybody was like this and I didn't realize until later that no, it it was very few families that were Irish Catholic that put out, you know, we lived in Detroit. We had to have a new model uh, out uh, each year to keep up with the, the, you know, the the Fords and the GMs of the world, but not everybody was like that. You know, my, my wife was an only child, which means she got to go to nice restaurants. We got to go to nice restaurants when people died. I mean, it was just that, that, it was just a totally different life, but but my mother, you know, she she fought the good fight, and she was a she was a hell of a life force. Anybody that knew her would never ever forget her. Uh, that's for sure. So happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. Absolutely. So uh, you 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 had a bullet in here for happy anniversary. Yeah, you know, I wanted to 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 wish my wife when uh, happy anniversary. Oh, this man. past week was the thirtieth anniversary of us meeting in Cody's, and her saying to me, "I heard you're the asshole that manages that softball team." <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious and we've been together ever since and you've been, uh, yeah you're like you know, i've got to get that woman yeah. right and, and what i've learned is over time and i'm going to get killed for saying this but being married all these years i've developed quite the tolerance to arsenic <laughs> all right all right well happy anniversary on happy, happy mother's true? day and happy anniversary Gwen. that's right so um i want to touch base there have been two passings that we want to acknowledge and the first one is Gordon Lightfoot, uh, the great singer 
who uh, wrote the boat sank. Everyone died. Where's my money? Yeah, that's right. Which I always thought was one of the funnier lines you ever said. Yeah. You know, but uh, but but Gordon Lightfoot actually, um, you know, he's kind of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, and for he sure. wrote some songs that uh, stick with me at least uh, for quite some time. And uh, you know, he's not a guy who I ever felt. I, I that I ever wanted to go see live. Right, right. But uh, but he wrote some important songs, and uh, you know, if his if one of his songs comes on the radio, I'd always uh, kind of stop and sit up and take a listen. And uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, I think, as much as you've made light of it, uh, is an important song because oh, there's no doubt. You know, it remembers a, a very tragic event. Well, uh, let's put it this way: I think Lightfoot actually was. Uh, put in the Maritime Hall of Fame. You know, he, he is very revered amongst the sailors and certainly the families of these people that died uh, in this shipwreck. But he was also a huge hit maker in the seven, early 70s. You know, Bob Dylan was a big fan of Gordon Lightfoot, which is, that should tell you something right there. Um, for me, it's like, I listen to music all the time. I walk all the time, but I, I didn't pull out the Gordon Lightfoot catalog this week to listen to it. So I don't know what that means, but it's just... I liked them, but I didn't love them. I, there, know. he does have very loyal fans. He has a no group doubt. Of very, older fans. fans. They're dying off by the day. They're, they're dying <laughs> off exactly, exactly as we all are. But you know, but we also want to make mention of the passing of another person. This was uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jerry Springer, who a yeah. lot of people will know for the uh, sort of trashy TV show he used to have, the Mayor uh, of Cincinnati. Yeah, that's right. But well, and 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 the reason why I, I bring him up is because, as as you say, he was mayor of Cincinnati. And when I graduated from elementary school, from North Avondale Elementary School in Cincinnati, Ohio, right. they said, Leo, we want you to speak to the class because we can't get anybody else to do it. And we don't think anybody else has, has got right. enough courage to actually stand up in front of the school and actually speak. So I got to sit. This is on like a regular table. school, right? This is yeah, this is like a regular school, not this like wasn't a, a one flew over the cuckoo's nest situation. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, but so I got to. They they asked me to speak to the class, and uh, and but also present that day was the mayor of Cincinnati, one Jerry Springer, and he and I both shared the stage. I I talked about going on to high school, and he talked about the importance of reading. And, uh, and, 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 and that being something that you could always do when you were by yourself, that reading. And, and you know, Jerry goes on to have sort of a comical career. I right. mean, he was a very popular mayor, yeah. but he bounced a check to a, to, a, to a prostitute in Newport, Kentucky, and it effectively ended his political career. And this was a guy that they were grooming to run for governor because he was a liberal but he was popular in very conservative Cincinnati. Yes, so yeah. he was being groomed for that. But then, so so then he gets a job as the local anchor on the nightly news in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he would do these kind of uh, you know every night he would do kind of an editorial. Right, and right. Uh, again, which was in vogue for local newscasters at the time. At the time, exactly like Walter Jacobson used to do that here. At Bill Bonds in Detroit. And and the thing is, is that again. Cincinnati is very conservative, but but Springer yes. was a liberal who was respected. Right. And eventually he he got into television here in Chicago when he started doing the Jerry Springer show for NBC. And, and that's when he just started 
bringing in people and and they would fight with each other and oh yeah find the trashiest people he could find and it was get the real money. americans yeah real americans and 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 what i used to say about the jerry springer show is that i i used to watch it because it would make me feel so much better about myself <laughs> you know that is so true that's you the know way I, that's what I, way i feel about him too i mean subjects like astronauts who wet the bed yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? But, but what was amazing was how popular it was. No, I mean, it really made was. a lot of money. But, on what it did, but Leo, what did it spawn today? That's really the question. Yeah. He when, when he passed, he was, you know, criticized or not, but credited with kind of starting um, television that today, you know, you, you see TMZ, you see all, all the stuff, stuff in the craziness in the media is almost goes back to the lineage goes back to Jerry Springer to a certain. It really point. does. He he spawned an entire generation or genre of yeah. television shows, and we can thank him or we can curse him for <laughs> right. you know. Yeah, right. But uh, but 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 for for those who grew up in Cincinnati, uh, those who knew him when, uh, they look back upon him rather fondly, and uh, and I'm, I was sorry to see him pass. Really and also, I want to add one thing: he was very well liked. Yeah, the, the people that knew him loved him, and a, apparently he was a very fair and generous man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, exceedingly yeah. so. It got him into trouble sometimes, but but you can always tell when someone is beloved at moments like this because not everybody gets that reaction. But one thing I could tell by reading, the, like in the New York Times and other things about him, he was he was a people loved him that was in his family and close to him. Well, I think Harry would like me to leave. Well, I don't think that's necessary. I think Harry thinks it is. Harry thinks if you call him Harry one more time, he's gonna make you eat that cat. Gene Hackman is Harry Mosby. Hello, Harry. In Night Moves. Well, oh, come on, take a swing at me, Harry, the way Sam Spade would. He's a private investigator. My daughter, Delhi. Would you believe Delilah? Well, she's gone. How long gone? Two weeks. Go find her. Making a living. Well, let's say 125 a day in legitimate expenses. From other people's lives. You can get cheaper. Can I get better? You're hired. Making a mess of his own. God, you're really prime, Ellen. You know that? I can't check. Ah, oh, it's a beauty. It's a game where every player is a pawn. Harry Mosby, isn't it? Every move is a wrong one. <laughs> And the winner loses everything. I want to know what it's all about. I told you what it's all about. You, what the hell are you all about? You're asking the wrong question. Gene Hackman in Night Moves. Let's get to opening our bag of popcorn and, uh, I want to begin with the movie that you selected, which is Night Moves, uh, which is from 1975, starring Gene Hackman. This is a film noir classic, but it's done in the 1970s time period. Uh, basically, it's a private investigator. Uh, the man is uh, Harry Mosby. Harry Mosby Confidential is what it reads on the door of his office. And a woman comes to him rather older but attractive woman and asks him to track down his daughter and that leads him to 
to New Mexico and then later on to the Florida Keys as he's trying to find this woman, this young, young woman played by Melanie Griffith in her very, very first role ever. Uh, and and it's, it's a hard movie to explain as far as plot, but basically it uses all the conventions that you would find in a film noir movie. Harry Mosby is a former professional football player, so he's a tough, strong guy. He's smart. He's trying to figure out what's going on as to why this girl has disappeared, where she has gone, for what reason, and what are the, you know, who she has gone to, and what are their motivations, and what are they trying to do. Uh, it takes him to uh, a movie set where he he checks in with the director, he checks in with the stuntman, he checks in with the mechanic uh, who, who is working on sort of the, uh, the uh, airplanes and vehicles that are being used in the movie. And that guy is played by James Woods, a very, very young James Woods. And it's always great, I got to say, Tom, when you see James Woods get knocked around in a movie. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you see, you know? and, uh, but, but, bas but basically... Uh, all the conventions are there for the film noir movie. You have beautiful women who throw themselves at the hero. He has problems in his personal life. His wife is cheating on him uh, because he's always out working. He's working on these divorce cases that keep him out way late at night. So his wife is seeing other men. And, uh, you know, she loves him, but they're struggling through their relationship. But, but he has this last case and he feels like he's got to figure out what is going on. And he finds out. And it's violent. It's gruesome. And it was excellent. I loved this movie. This was, I, I'd never seen this before. And uh, I got to tell you, Gene Hackman was brilliant. You know, there, there's uh, Elizabeth Warren, who plays the woman, the sort of mysterious woman who, can you trust her? Is she on your side? Right. Can't she? Right. You know. The, the Mary Astor role. Yeah, uh, from from uh, Maltese Falcon that she played basically that same character. Exactly, who she's so alluring. She had that great line where she's like, you know, here you wouldn't believe it, but around here I'm a really hot chick, <laughs> and uh, and and she is a really hot chick. You know, she has this stocking cap on at the beginning. She looks like some sort of sailor, but then she takes it off, and her blonde hair sort of flows down, and you're like, whoa. She's gorgeous. And there's some really great erotic moments where she seduces, you know, Gene Hackman and, and sort of, you know, gets him to sort of, she basically plays him. You know, I don't want to give away too much of what yeah, goes please on. Don't. Movie, but, but, but I got to tell you, if you haven't seen this, this is a, a, an excellent movie. And uh, I was really glad you chose this. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, this is a film that I revisit every 10 years or so. And I, it's actually been a little bit longer. I don't think I've seen it um, in the in the, the new millennium. Um, classic 70s noir, uh, Gene Hackman, the 93-year-old Gene Hackman, still alive, still driving wow. a car, by the way. Um, this was the like the third or fourth film that he made where his character's name was Harry, just yeah. like Harry, uh, Harry call in the uh, conversation. This was kind of a variation of this character, except for the he was this 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 guy was your true Sam Spade kind of tough guy. He was an ex professional football player. The script was in revisiting it now and after me post me too. It was kind of you could tell this script was written by a man. 
because all of the characters kind of spoke like a man, even the women. Right. But there was a line where you, you'd hear old things like, you know, he'd fuck a woodpile and the chance there'd be a snake in it. You know, yeah. stuff stuff like that. that you never hear that in, in films today. Some of the dialogue, um, you know, it, it was just... Um, well, it's it, very it, 70s. Like Ebert said, and he's so true, the dialogue was so blunt that the characters actually, for a while, escape the genre that they're in. And so, um, and you know, the scene chewing James Woods, um, it, yeah. it was frenetic in the entire, you know, it was like, dude, are you on meth? I mean, what the hell is going yeah. on here? Yeah. Um, but you're right. The, that's the best line of the show is seeing him get beat up. is just, yeah. uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's, yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Uh, shout out to Susan Clark who played, uh, Harry's wife, the, the, the detective's wife, uh, in the film, um, uh, who also was married Till he died to Alex Karras, ex Detroit Lion uh, defensive tackle. Um, this was uh, this was a film that the first time I saw it, the very last frame of the film, I was like, "Oh my God! Oh no, that didn't just happen." Yeah. And then, if you give it about fifteen years, as you get older, you forget actually how exactly it gets to it. But that first time that you're shocked because it is a shocking ending. At least it was for me. But I do want to talk about him, the boat. Um, he, he's uh, without giving anything away, he gets shot and he's using like a fly swat or a fish net to kind of try to get the boat to go. And he's going in circles. Yeah. And basically to me, that was a microcosm for the whole movie. He was right. basically going in circles, the whole film, trying to figure out this plot. And eventually he did, but he was basically losing, you know, he, he made yeah. it, we don't know whether he lived or died, but but he he just he wasn't a happy guy. I mean, no, it's not a happy ending, and uh, and it's it is shocking in its violence, you know. And and I do want to mention the fight scene between Gene Hackman and uh, John Crawford, who plays right. Tom Iverson. Correct. And uh, it's a great, you know, it's a fight between well, I guess at the time two very big, strong men, and you know, a lot of times in movies the hero will always get the best of, yeah, of the film, that's right you know and 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 will always dominate them well harry harry is the one who gets dominated here he gets a little lucky he has to rely on his old football skills right. you know that finally win him that fight but but it it's a really you know it, it's a great fight for a film noir movie and uh you know there're just some really ugly things that happen and uh and i think for that reason alone it's it's quite a good movie to see. You know? Well, I'm glad you liked it. I thought this was a, this is a four star film. It's nowhere near the top of my list. It's in, you know it's in the top few hundred films that I've seen. But it's just you know it, it, it. The only reason why this isn't a bigger classic today is how it was handled by the studio when it first came out. I've read further about the film, and it was not given wide distribution because Ebert surmised when he did the his great movies. Uh, write up on this film that this film would be a much much bigger uh, classic film if it was properly distributed back wow. in nineteen back in the nineteen seventy five which again the summer of Jaws remember that so that dominated the the, the did, movie yeah. business back then you know so. it's it's funny yeah you're right I mean it it is a worthy offering to the genre no question war. no question. Es sede del fiscal del juicio más importante de la historia argentina. Estando yo en mi casa fui secuestrada. 
Me tuvieron encerrada meses. La responsabilidad jerárquica es de las juntas. ¿Cómo demostramos que ellos sabían? Vas a meter preso a Videla. A todos los responsables. So let's get to my choice, which was uh, something produced more recently. And this is Argentina 1985. And this is something that really kind of strikes close to home as, as my family is from Argentina. And a lot of this stuff, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I experienced it directly, but I'm very aware of, of, of what was going on in Argentina at this time. And basically it is, it tracks the prosecution. Based on the, true events. Based on true, yes. Uh, it, it, it tracks the prosecution of the military dictatorships, guys, uh, the dictators who had ruled Argentina throughout the 1970s and finally were forced out of power in the early 1980s. And these guys were guilty of all sorts of political persecutions. They would kidnap people. And we're talking thousands of people. They would kidnap them in the middle of the night. They would torture them. They would rape them. They would drug them. They would fly them out over the Atlantic Ocean and throw them to the sharks. It was a horrible, horrible time. And, and basically, the story begins with uh, this guy, Stracera, who is the chief prosecutor for the federal government. And the a real person. This is a real person. Julio, Julio Stracera. And, and so what happens is that um, the, the military dictators, these generals, are subject to a military court. Uh, and the military court basically absolves them of any wrongdoing throughout these accusations of, of torture and kidnapping. They said, well, you know, we were just fighting a civil war. And these guys, these people under us, they did all this excessive stuff, but we, we didn't order it. It wasn't our fault. And so that was the finding of the military tribunal. But then it goes to the federal court who takes up the case And Stracera is the only prosecuting attorney that they have. So he is obligated to take up this case that basically half of the population doesn't want them to do uh, because half of the population still supports these military guys and feels like they did right in the things that they had done. So it begins with that he's, he's got to put his team together. Uh, amidst the fact that he's being intimidated, he's receiving threatening phone calls. No one wants to work on his team. All of the old experienced attorneys are afraid to take up the case or they're all fascists themselves. Right. So he's got to bring in all these young attorneys, guys who are fresh out of law school, men and women, to come and basically assimilate the evidence and bring it to court. Then it's the presentation of the evidence. And what you do is you hear from the witnesses. This is, of course after all of these generals basically say that they don't recognize the authority of the court. But then the witnesses, all of the survivors, talk about uh, what happened to them, how they were tortured, how they were raped, the things that they were forced to do. You know, horrible, shocking things that were taken out of the actual uh, the testimony of, of these witnesses women who were forced to give birth to children on the floor of a car while they were blindfolded and handcuffed. And then they forced this woman, they stripped her naked after she'd had her baby to clean a, 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 a sort of a hospital room. She had to clean it up while she was completely naked, while these men laughed at her and ridiculed her. And, and it was just 
horrible and shocking, all of the things that took place. And, and then finally, the movie ends with Stracera's summation of the case, where basically he has to sum up, you know, and make his final argument uh, in front of the court. And, and that is kind of the climax of the movie, where he, he, he talks about how we, we no longer can live in a country where violence and torture are political tools. And, um, and I think that this is an important movie for everyone to see because there are many parallels with, with things that are happening here in the United States. Yeah, where, you know, the, the, that, that there is a sort of a movement in this country towards violence. That if well, you towards fascism. Towards fascism. And that if you disagree with me, then you deserve to die. That I want to kill you. And, right. and, and, and we're seeing that more and more whether it's uh, people taking up AR-15s and shooting up a mall in Texas or a school or whatever in Memphis. It, it is just, it, I, I see many, many parallels with yes. this and yes. we must be on guard. Now, the one sort of positive thing is, and I'm not revealing any you know sort of uh, spoilers here because these are all things that are, historically accurate correct correct that they they didn't get all there were nine defendants nine of these generals right um they didn't get all of them but they did get about six or seven of them and and right. the worst one um i think the first the first general he got life in prison yeah galtieri and yeah. he the got the most uh, egregious of the generals yes the most egregious um and so that was important yeah. And uh, that sort of ends the movie, I think, on a positive and sort of a hopeful note. Right. But 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 these prosecutions for these war criminals, it's still going on today. And no, this no. is something that Argentina has had to come to terms with. And little by little, you know, they're sort of coming out of it. Now, Argentina has other problems and they're economic and and they're also corruption there. But but, you know, things are better there on a political front and we hope that they'll continue to improve but uh, i'm curious to what you thought of it so um how long have we been doing this show seven years and we started doing films probably about three and a half years ago or something like that um this is amongst the best films you've ever suggested for wow. me to watch this wow. is a film obviously it was just made last fall i i believe it it lost to All Quiet on the Western Front, which I told you was a phenomenal film. I will make you the case this film is every bit as good. And I'll bet you that because this was nominated for Best uh, International Film at the Oscars last year. I think in any other year it would have won. This this is a phenomenal four-star film. It is. Um, and a lot to unpack here. To me, like the theme of this film... Um, is about fear. It's about fear in human beings. It's how... Uh, humans um, react to fear. It's how some people wilt and it's how some people rise to the occasion. Yeah. And basically you have the story of this to me, like career bureaucratic prosecutor who um, underneath the military dictatorship, oftentimes, and he would be the first to admit it and struggled with it as, as a character, that he didn't do what he should have done to um, to bring to the fore, he couldn't have. It would have cost him his life. Yeah. But, but still, it's inside of him the fact that 
you know, he never really had the chance to kind of step up. He did not welcome um, this this job. Basically, he was assigned by the new president that he would, um, you know, bring to trial these this military, uh, this junta. Uh, I think it was known as the trial of the juntas. Yeah. Uh, subsequently. Um, and he went in very reluctantly for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons why I love this film is that it took its time in developing its characters and never more so than uh, Julio Strasera, who was a combination Spencer Tracy, Walter Matthau uh, yeah. type actor. Uh, Ricardo Darren was fantastic. It yeah. was like he wore Argentina on his face as far yeah. as what was going on. It it was amazing how civilized these people were. I would have been in a rage. But again, I would have been fed to the sharks. Yeah, right. You'd have been. Yeah, right. I mean, you know what I'm saying, like it's it's his restraint and, and the, his lovely family um, who basically what was his pillar and he bounced yeah. things off of um, one hilarious part was the. Um, you know, I saw it in Spanish and then I saw it in English. I had the option. But on the uh, closed caption on the Spanish for fascists was right wing. <laughs> Every time I saw that, I kept thinking about what you were talking about, the fact that it's very uh, prescient to what's going on today of how polarized we are. And But I just thought that was kind of funny. This was extremely fast paced. This was like all the president's men yeah. meets, meets the post. It's just, and, and, and it reminded me of Inherent the Wind too. That's where I got the Spencer Tracy part because I felt as though... Um, you know, Strasera wisely picked this young junior prosecutor, Luis Marino Campo, uh, yeah. who was extremely important to the trial because he brought in all of these young um, attorneys and ones that weren't attorneys, but clerks that helped research and bring all of these crimes to the to the fore. I love the fact that they were smoking in the courtroom. They have lawyers smoking at their desk. I mean, that's so you see that it, it just the 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 80s vibe it just i loved this film leo this film was great from the very beginning to the end i will see it again the melees amongst the victims and the fact that people ultimately would vote against their own best interests when it comes to a military dictatorship even you know people that it started turning the tide. This trial turned the the tide of winning the hearts and minds of the argentinians and um, it's never been the same since. This is an oh, extremely yeah. important film. Um, and I am, I'm, it's kind of what drives me a little crazy about uh, the Oscars for Best Picture. This should have been nominated for Best Picture. And it's only because it's a foreign language film that it wasn't. But it, to me, that's just ridiculous because it was better than than three of those films. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I would agree. Uh, I would agree. So, and I'm sorry I didn't see it sooner. And and this is a very important movie if you're Argentine. You know, I, I, I can't imagine the pressure that uh, Ricardo Darin must have felt. I mean, he was an executive producer on this. You know, this was his project, basically, to, to, to bring this story to life, to give respect to the victims, to, to make sure that the world understood the things that happened there. You know, and let, and let me just interrupt you for one second, because this I just want to say this before we, we, we move on. This was the only other thing like this was the Nuremberg trials and yeah. the difference in the Nuremberg. And also Nuremberg trials had young uh, uh, lawyers, too, because uh, 
uh, Ben uh, Franz just died at a 103 the other day. He was 25 years old, one of the lead prosecutors at Nuremberg. But the difference was the hearts and minds around Nuremberg weren't Nazis. Not right. and and the difference in this story was half the population. Uh, like the death threats that these attorneys were getting were extraordinary, almost comical. But if it weren't so scary about the about that, so sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but that was no. But you're right, know. and 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 this this is what they had to deal with, and the pressure must have been incredible. You know, they were taught he would they would get phone calls. We're going to rape your daughter. We're going to kill right, your son. Right. You know, and all these horrible things are going on, and and then you know his assistant, basically, he came from an aristocratic family who yeah. supported these military dictatorships and they went on vacations with them. Right, right. To Punta del Este. And, and basically his own mother and all of his, his uncles who were in the military. And he talked about, he went on, like what was interesting is the assistant goes on a, a, a talk show on television and the guy's like, why do you hate the army so much? You know, why do you hate, right, you know? Right. And, and that question parallels a question I often hear someone asked a liberal, why do you hate America so much? You know what I mean? Right. As if being on the side of justice, you know, is un-American or unpatriotic. But, you know, and, but and Ocampo he's, says he's, he's against evil. Yeah. That's what he's against, is evil. <laughs> no, and, and that's exactly right. Now, you know, this was these dirty wars. They were a very, very difficult time. And, you know, there were atrocities committed on both sides. But what happened was the fascists got the upper hand. Correct. Because they, they, had, had, they had the military. That's they had the military. And they basically went after everybody. They went after anybody who said, boo. If you said anything bad to anyone and they heard about it, they were coming for you in the middle of the night. You know, and 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 it was horrible. And I was in Argentina in the 1970s. And let me tell you, it was a terrible, terrible time. It was scary. We had our passports stolen right after we arrived at a Seiza airport. I remember our passports were picked out of my mother's pocket. Wow. And we had to go through. So now we just entered the country and now none of us have our passports. You can't imagine how frightening a For thing sure. that was. For sure. you know, we had to go through this whole thing to apply to the American embassy and the American consulate. And then we had to get visas from the Argentine government. And we had to go at six o'clock in the morning and wait in line with all these immigrants. And I'll tell you something, it was a hard time to be in that country. You know, my mother knew people who had disappeared, who were never heard from again. Right. Right. You know, she knows their wives. It, 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 it's really hard. You know, while as horrible as that is, and any time in, in history when these, this kind of thing has occurred, and unfortunately, it seems like it keeps happening, um, it's beautiful how a civilized um, nation roots out their historically evils. And, and yeah. it takes a while. And in fact, I'm sure you could probably say it's not completed yet because some of those, some of those people are still walking the planet that believe so fervently in the juntas. Yeah. Uh, but I just think it's beautiful how 
you have these heroes. You have this, you know, again, a bureaucrat, almost like almost like the guy we just saw in the Kurosawa film. He's, he was just a career. And all of a sudden he's thrust into this position that he didn't want. Um, and just how some people react to that. And, and the fact that he was afraid. He was afraid of everything. And just like everybody was afraid. Yeah. But he but he did his job. He you did know, his job. He's, that's he, what, what I think is the the sort of the, the moral here, the lesson here yeah. is that oh, yeah. he had a job to do and he didn't walk away from it. Although every fiber of his being was probably telling him to just run away and get the heck out of this country. But he stands his ground, he does his job. And what's interesting is how dispassionate he is, how sort of calm he is. But there's one moment in the movie where he finally lets his emotions get the best of him where he looks across at the accused. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That actually starts, happened you know, by the way. That, yeah. That. yeah. And he's like, fuck you, fuck right. you. And they're like, would you please tell the prosecutor to stop making obscene <laughs> gestures at us? You know? So then he started making faces at him. Yeah. Right. Right. No. So, so, so it, it, it was brilliant in, in that regard. And it's an important story um, for, for Argentines to know, because here we are some 40 years later, yeah. You know, an entire generation needs to be made aware of what happened. There's needs no doubt. To be made aware of, of that history. And and they were very true to that history. They were true to the witnesses because very often you, you they have actors who play the witnesses who look exactly like them. Correct. And they, they dress them exactly like them. And then they would superimpose images of the real witnesses testi right. testifying. Beautifully done. It really was. And uh, it was respectfully done Correct. is the most important thing. And, you know, uh, Doreen looks exactly like Stracera. Yeah. You know, they they yeah. they brought in people and they went to great pains to completely recreate this. And they yeah. recreated it physically with the actors and they recre recreated it physically as far as like the cars and the times and all those things that we recognize from Argentina during that time. So, yeah. uh, so that's, yeah. that's just a great choice by you, you. And by the way, I will recommend this film to anybody that I taught when that, when I, and, and I will redo my top 10 list for 2022 and then moves way up there. Wow. Uh, this was a great film, uh, similar by the way, to, uh, the Costa Gravas film missing, which is about something different, but it, it's similar and similar in that regard, but thank you for this choice. This is a great choice. Okay. And, well, so that that concludes our, our 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 popcorn discussion. It is time for you to stop all of Let's open up the bag of peanuts and let's get right into it. And I want to begin with uh, the topic of, well, about two and a half years ago, we, we announced, well, we announced, but we, we learned that. Uh, we told major, our listener. We told our listener that major. <laughs> by, major way, by the way, speaking of listeners. Yeah. We, I, I, I learned this week that we have a new listener to the show. And that is, uh, and I want to do a special shout out to Jim Brayback. Oh, wow. Occasionally listens to our podcast. By the way, the best thing anyone's ever said about our podcast is I listen to it before I at night because it, it helps me go to sleep. Oh, that's wonderful. That's good. <laughs> that's good. 
That's good. So, so uh, Jim, I hope you're doing well. And NyQuil, you know, that's <laughs> in the same breath. That's a wonderful thing. But, but about two and a half years ago, we, we announced to our listener that, uh, that, that the major leagues would be major league baseball would be integrating statistics from the Negro leagues from a variety of different Negro leagues into the historical database. And they would be including them as major leagues. And so a lot of these guys, people like Satchel page and Josh Gibson would be credited with certain numbers of home runs and certain numbers of wins as pitchers and strikeouts and things like that. And here we are two and a half years later, and the job is not even close to being finished. And there are many, many reasons for that. And, uh, you know, not to mention the least of which is not the least of which is the fact that it's extremely difficult to 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 find statistics and box scores from these games. Now, they talk about how there is a finite number of games over a finite number of years. But the problem is, is that you just don't have accurate box scores. You don't, not every Negro league game was reported on. There might've just been a byline in the paper that says, you know, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Crawfords beat, uh, you know, the Kansas city Monarchs three to four or four to three. And, and, and that's it. There's no, right. no right. line about who won or why, or how many pitches were used. And you just don't have the historic information that you have for, uh, for, for regular major, well, for major league baseball, as it, as, as we've sort of been accustomed to knowing it. And there are also some other conflicts too, but, but it, it seems to me to be a Herculean task to sort of track these things down. And, and, and very often, you know, these researchers go into the basement of a bank and they find all these old newspapers That's right. and they're able to find a box score. And that's like Correct. finding like, you know, that's like finding something that's like finding something on an archeological dig. That's correct. That's you know, and, and just how amazing that must feel, you know, after all that work and searching to just find a little piece that just helps you create the larger picture. So, uh, you know, I, I, I really tip my hat to these guys. I'd really like to work with them. You know, well, I got to tell you, this company Seam Heads, yeah. which um, is part of the reason why this has been delayed two and a half years. They and credit to them, they have built a database, a, a, a database of uh, statistics of of the Negro leagues. Uh, still not complete because of what you referenced. It'll never be complete because because of how the the box scores were kept. Um, you know, irregularly. Sometimes they were kept. Sometimes they weren't. But seam heads. My point is, they are um, the baseball reference of of the Negro leagues, um, and. I kind of feel like as a, as a baseball fan, hey, you don't own this data. We, we do. I, I understand you've compiled it, but it's your job to work with uh, Major League Baseball so that these things get put into 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 record sooner, not later. I'm with Josh Gibson's grandson, who, who they referenced in that article. It's like, what's taking you guys so long? And that's my point. Come on, quit bickering. You don't own this stuff. If you've got stuff that can help with the historical um, yeah. accuracy that uh, Major League Baseball is trying to get, you, you must you must uh, relinquish it. You, you, you got to cooperate. It. Correct. And cooperate. so that's the seam heads. What are you guys doing? I mean, I, I understand. And, and by the way, it's not about money. It's about someone else owning that 
you know, their, their work. And it's like, really, really, again, some of these players are dying every day. There's not a lot of the Negro players left. They need to have this validation if and nothing else for, for the way that they were treated in their lives for the, it's just, it, it seem heads, get your act together and get this stuff done sooner rather than later. What will be very, very interesting will be the number of wins that they credit Satchel Page yes, with, yes, and the number of home runs that Josh Gibson is credited Correct. with. Because, it's going to sh- it's going to shake up the records, but so yeah. what? It is what it is. It, yeah. it is what it, it is. is what it is. And there, I've heard that Gibson has hit over eight hundred home runs. Yeah, it's like eight twenty eight or something yeah. like that. You know, and it, and it, and that's crazy. And then Page might have won over 400, 500 games. Correct. Who knows? Correct. You know, uh, well, well, you too, long... if you look at his stats, at Major League stats, how is he in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. It, you know, he's like 10 and 12 or what? I mean, his numbers are because they know. They yeah. know. Because every hitter back in those days, all those early voters are like, I know everybody I talked to said he was better than Walter Johnson. Yeah. He was better than Cy Young. And so at some point, Seam heads, get your act together and give them the, the the data that they need so that we can make make these records um, no, accurate and, and, and permanent. <laughs> I, I want, I mean, because Baseball Reference is such an important it really tool is for any baseball. It's, fan. it's one of the best free websites. There, I, it's it's like yeah. Wikipedia. How is this free? I keep yeah, saying exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, and and the information is so great. Yeah, and you know, you could just pull it up. Right. And I, I really want to see the statistics from these uh, African-American baseball players because they deserve to be there. No they doubt. Really do. and, right. uh, and, 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 it, and it's, it's frustrating that, uh, that they were kept out of baseball for so long. Right. And, uh, and, and I think that this is a step towards righting a historical wrong. Agreed. So hopefully what's, they going can do hey, what's going on in Tampa Bay, Leo? It, What's well, happening? And do they have any fans show up for for this team this year? Yeah, the the best team in baseball has hardly anyone coming to see them, you know. But the Tampa Bay Rays are rolling, and uh, if we look at the statistics, if we look at the standings, yeah, they are. I think they lost last night to the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, but they are currently in first place by a fairly wide margin. I think they're thirty and eleven. Thirty and eleven, which is behind the pace of the set by the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, yeah, I, and also, uh, in all fairness to Tampa Bay, yeah, the, that team was thirty five and five after uh, forty. That's the that's the uh, the the gold mark for uh, after the first forty games, which um, again was Sparky's indicator on great teams. My concern when Tampa Bay is is that they're starting to fall back to the mean as far as being average the way the tigers did too after they went off to this torrid start they they basically played 500 the rest of the way out winning 103 games tampa bay they were at one point on pace to win 130 games or something like that 135 games that has really slowed down i think pakota um actually has them finishing behind the yankees just so you know that they're going to actually level off so i don't think they're the 84 tigers I hope, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I would love to see it because Tampa Bay has to win the world series. And that's where I think they're going to run into problems. Well, it's good. It's, it's harder to win the world series now than it was in 1984. That's and true. After, 40, after 41 games, the Detroit Tigers were 35 and six. No, I know that they, they like I said, they basically played 500 after that, but, uh, but it's, but it's fascinating. And, and if you look at the standings, they're, they're 30 and 11, 
but their lead is only three games over the Baltimore Orioles, right. who've won six of their last ten, and they're surging. They won on Friday when uh, what's his name of Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins hit the cycle, hit for the cycle. It was almost it was almost a natural too. If he if he yeah. just missed hitting, you know, the double first and the triple second, because both of those hits could have been either one. That's right. That's right. No, you're absolutely right. And I love what's going on in Baltimore right Me now. Me too. Bird bath, you know, when good things happen, they have a guy who comes out with a water gun and he shoots water all over the crowd. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I love it that the Orioles are good. And that division, if you look at that division, now the Yankees, you know, uh, have finally surged out of last place. Yeah. But uh, but every team, Boston is in last place at 22 and 18. You know, that's incredible. Right. You know, if you look at some of these other divisions, you know, God, if the White Sox were in the National League or the American League East, they would be. It's you know, all, it would be over effectively. It would be over. over. Exactly. It, it, so, it almost is over anyways. But, you know, going back to uh, the Orioles last year, they started to ascend. Uh, you know, they, they started capturing a lot of they were so bad for so long that they started capturing the, the first picks in the drafts. And the, those players started to move up through the minor league system. You know, uh, Adley Rushman, they have a world-class catcher. Um, and and then slowly but surely, they got pieces like Mullins. I love this Mullins kid. I just want to tell you right now, he, he plays baseball like the old old guys did. He loves the game. He throws his whole his whole entity into, into everything that he does, particularly in center field. Um, big fan. Um, uh, happy for the Orioles. The Yankees are not out of it. I know that the Yankees and the Cardinals are in last place, but the difference between the Yankees and the Cardinals is that the Yankees will end up being close to the top at the end of the season. I don't think the same case can be said for the Cardinals. No, the Cardinals are in a, in a bad way for a variety of reasons. Well, the Yankees did manage to get out of last place. Now they're in fourth place in their division. Right. right. In a very tough division, by the way. But it is interesting to note that, you know, for basically all of last week and maybe a little bit of the week before the New York Yankees and the St. Louis Cardinals both were in last place. And this was the first time shocking that had ever happened where they both were when both teams were in last place in their respective divisions. Now that goes back to when divisional play began in 1969. Right. That is, so it's never happened. It's never happened. It include league play, which goes all the way back to almost the turn of the century. You know, you have to go back to when, the New York Yankees were the New York Highlanders right. and the Cardinals. And this was in 1915 when both teams had occupied last place in their leagues. So, so this is a big, big deal. And, you know, you say that the Yankees at least have a chance to sort of move up towards the top in their division, but, but the Cardinals have larger problems big and time. it begins and ends with their starting pitching. Yeah. And, and I think that Wilson Contreras, the former Cubs catcher who was signed as a free agent by St. Louis for $87 million for three years, like they that. basically told him, we don't want you to catch anymore. You're the problem. You're why our pitchers are not uh, are not succeeding. And I think that he's being sort of painted as a bit of a scapegoat. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that the problem really with the starting pitching is that the front office hasn't acquired any. So, well, so late breaking news on this story. He returns to the catching role on Monday. Contreras oh, wow. does. Okay. I, re I read that early this morning. So we have to, uh, for the sake of fairness. However, 
Uh, do you remember Paul Harvey when he was I on do. the radio? I do. I, I didn't do. agree with him politically at all. He was, you know, right of Hitler. But he but, was fun to listen to. But he was great on the radio. And, and he used to have this thing called, now you know the rest of the story, good yeah. day or whatever. And so um, now I know the rest of the story on Wilson Contreras last summer when the Cubs were were shopping you. Yeah. And and, and they at least I, I, I theorized that that they couldn't move you for at least for what they wanted to get for you or what the, what the perception was. However, they were willing to let you go. And that's the thing that scares me the most about maybe maybe for Contreras all this time was kind of a, you know, house of cards as being the backstop of the catchers, because it, if you just look at his ERAs of his pitching staffs, not so good, except for one season. Well, what's <laughs> Which interesting I'm about... not sure he had anything to do with that one season. Now in retrospect, except well, we want, for... we watched him for his entire career. Correct. Correct. And I would say that defensively, he was a great catcher. He blocked. Well, he had a great arm. I don't know. Arm. I don't know if he was a great framer. I never thought he was a great framer, but he, he had a great a better arm. Framer. Remember, remember they criticized him for his for his lack of skills as far as framing, but then he got better at that. I guess. But, but the problem is, is the way he calls games, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Like like his like his baseball uh, IQ is not great as a catcher. That's that's I think his decision making is not great. But whatever it is, he's coming back on Monday. So yeah. I think what the Cardinals have realized is they've got a really bad pitching staff. So yeah, you can blame as much as you want on Contreras and maybe he does play a role, but you know, Adam Wainwright, he's uh yeah, they're waiting for Wainwright to come back from it. It's the 41 year old Wainwright to come right, back. From it. Right. Right. You know, Who was getting that. rocked in the baseball classic. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't, you know me, I'm not a big fan of the Cardinals, but like you said, I respect the fact that they were national leagues, Greatest team, just like the Yankees, American League's greatest team. Uh, and it's just kind of weird. And it's got to be tough for the Cardinal fans who are some of the biggest, most loyal knowledgeable fans, fans in, in, in all of sports, yeah. in all of sports, to yeah. have to live through this fact that, you know what, it's just not a very good team. And and Molina, he left the party at the very right moment, yeah. as it turns yeah. out. <laughs> well, it, it it is amazing to sort of contemplate how Molina really kept that pitching staff together for so long. You know what I mean? That it right. was, he was, he was why they were able to compete with, with very, very little talent, you know, and, and, and Mikolas is, is a decent pitcher, you know, but they signed him to an extension and, you know, he's just not, no, not dominating. No. Like and, and Jack Flaherty has got like the highest walk rate in the major leagues, even though he, he chastised a bunch of re reporters this year. Whenever you hear a pitcher snipping at, at at reporters, they're just mad at themselves. I, I don't care who yeah. you are. I don't care yeah. if you're Jack Morris. I don't care who you are. Anytime you abuse a reporter, you're just upset with yourself. Right. That's right. And 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 you got to give guys like Lance Lynn credit. Lynn, who got yeah. shelled the other day, right? He stood up in front of those reporters and answered questions, and he was a pro. And and you 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 need guys to be like that. So, uh, all right. So uh, we want to talk about, you know, we, I mentioned Lance Lynn and we should begin to talk about the White Sox as the Houston Astros are on the South side over at what is, right. what's the name of the park again? It's uh, uh, third, third rate, third rate, guaranteed third rate field. 
Um, <laughs> but we 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 kid the White Sox. I don't want to kick them too too badly while they're down. I, I will though. But go ahead. But but the but but the Astros came, and and that meant that Jose Abreu returned to the right. South Side, and I think it's important to to account for his career as a White Sox. He played nine years for the White Sox. He breaks in as a 27-year-old rookie and wins Rookie of the Year. He goes on to win an MVP award. He's, at different times, led the league in RBIs, in total bases. Um, You know, he arrives to the major leagues very, very late in life. And I think that is going to deny him, perhaps, the chance to go to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, But I think that he should receive some serious consideration. I think and, he, I think he will, Leo. I think it will because remember, didn't he? Well, he was he's got some wacky RBI stat over a long period of time that I think you know he may not be alive to see it, but I'll bet you at some point they might put him in the hall because of he was. But but here's important to note because he's batted one for ten since in this series. Yeah, Jose, you're batting one eighty five. I think. In this particular case, I agree with the Sox. I know you were a tremendous clubhouse presence, but I think your bat speed started. It started to happen in the lat, latter part of last season, and it's kind of once a player gets to an average, age, hit for power. Yeah, correct. And where you can't make get turn the bat on the ball like you once did, you got to know it's not going to come back. And not in the in the post steroid era we live in, it's not going to come back uh, naturally. So. To me, you should lead gracefully. That, that's that's like I think that time has come. Just like I think, by the way, that time has come for Max Scherzer. I'm just going to throw that out there, Max. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, the fact is, at the end of every season over the last five years, you've started to run out of gas. Now you're starting the season by running out of gas. What does that tell you? You are a Hall of Fame pitcher. Do and don't cheat. Don't sully your reputation as you waltz into the Hall of Fame. Do the right thing. Fall on your sword. Hang up the cleats. And I, th- I think more players have got to have got to be more noble and, and, and do the right thing. Do you know? Think of what 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 would Sandy Koufax do? Well, think about it. I mean, everybody I, I, everybody in New York says Scherzer is done. You know, and uh, I think that that could be the case. We're seeing, you know, these great lions sort of come to the end of things. The one thing that I think is sort of hopeful for uh, Abreu is that he historically has always been sort of a slow starter. Right. So maybe when the weather heats up, he'll heat up. That is the hope. We, we've come to the end of our show. We've got to come up with some uh, movie uh, for next week. What, what do you got for us? I got, uh, okay, we're going to go back to the 80s. This is a comedy. It's actually a romantic comedy. It's one of my favorite ones. Uh, das Boot? No, not Das Boot. <laughs> Roxanne. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. So for you, I'm going to go back even further. I wanted to lighten it up a little. We're going back to 1934. It's a gift with W.C. Fields. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. That should be fun. All right. All right. So until next time, we are the two Ps in a podcast.
Washing out the cattle town 